All right, so the question we're going to answer for today is only basically one question. Should we marry unbelievers? Now, this question is particularly relevant for those who were not yet married and intend to get married. One of the most important decisions we can we will make in our life is, of course, who am I going to marry? Because the choice we make concerning the spouse we select is going to impact us on a daily basis, and it will affect the happiness and well-being of our life. Of course, Yahuwah Abba wants to bless our life. He wants to bless our family. And so this decision about who to marry, it is a critical decision, one that we need to make certain we do so according to the will of Yahuwah Abba. So this question is actually based on a question that was submitted by one of our viewers. And this is the question here. Is it wrong to marry someone from other religions based on 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17? And so this person cites a passage in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17, the New International Version. We're going to read this passage, passage shortly. And so based on this passage, the question goes on, are we implying that they are unbelievers just because they have their own beliefs? Is it only those who practice idolatry and unbelievers, the ones whom we should avoid, not those with different beliefs? Uh, thank you, Paul. So that's the question. So to answer the question, Let's go ahead and use the basis from which the question comes from, which is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17. And this passage is often used as a proof text to tell individuals that you should not marry unbelievers. So let's go ahead and take a look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 down to 18. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. So that's what it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 14 to 18. It begins by saying, do not be yoked with unbelievers. Now, many people use this passage and make it specific to marriage or the marital relationship. And so because they say this passage refers to marital relationships when we go to verse 17 where it says therefore come out from them and be separate says the lord the application becomes if you are married with an unbeliever for you to be received by the father you must separate from them first and so let's ask the question second corinthians 6 14 to 18 is this specifically about marriage what is this topic about Let's go ahead and read first the passage before it. We read 14 to 18. Let's read 11 down to 13. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, 
but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. And so what's the context of 2 Corinthians 6, 14, when Apostle Paul said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Is this passage specifically about marital relationships? It's not. And so when people use 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and apply it to marriage, the application makes sense, but it's not a direct message about marital relationships. What is it about? What is the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 6? It's about Apostle Paul making an appeal to the Corinthians. Who specifically from the Corinthians? Those who follow Yahushua. Those who are members of the assembly of Yahushua who happen to be in Corinth. Take note, those who were converted to Christianity who are in Corinth back then, well, most of them came from pagan origins. And so Apostle Paul is speaking to those who got converted to Christianity and decided to follow our King Yahushua. What did Apostle Paul want them to do? Not to withhold their affection, not to withhold their dedication and devotion. What did Apostle Paul want from them? What kind of devotion and dedication did Apostle Paul want from the Corinthians who became believers in our King Yahushua? 2 Corinthians 11, 1 down to 3. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so Apostle Paul was concerned about the Corinthians because what he expected from them, being followers and believers of our King Yahushua, was for them to have pure devotion to who? Yahushua HaMashiach. That was the purpose of believing and becoming a convert to Christianity. In fact, to what did Apostle Paul liken those who became believers of Yahushua? They were likened to a virgin who is betrothed to get married to Yahushua, the Christ, as the husband. And so we, the assembly of Yahushua, those who believe in Mashiach, those who regard him as their leader and Messiah, well, they are supposed to be like a wife getting prepared to get married to a husband. And so if you have that dynamic in play, you expect that the wife who is going to get married to the husband, the assembly who is going to be married to, the, to Christ, they ought to be devoted to the one they're going to marry, right? And so Apostle Paul was expecting affection and love, dedication and devotion to who? Mashiach. So that's the context. And so an apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians. He's telling them, why are you holding back your devotion? What has tripped you up? Which is why you're not giving your full expression of love and devotion to Mashiach Yahusha. And so what did apostle Paul say to them? To convince them that they should be devoted to Yahusha. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Now we have 
the proper context by which to understand 614. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So when Apostle Paul says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, what he had in mind was not specifically the marital relationship. What he had in mind, according to the instruction, is for those who belong to Yahushua to separate from wickedness so they can be dedicated to what? Righteousness. That is the call of Apostle Paul. Separate from wickedness and be fully committed and dedicated to righteousness. And so if yoking with or having a partnership or fellowship with anyone in general who will cause you to live a wicked way of life, that is not proper for those who belong to Yahushua. Why? Why did Apostle Paul say, do not be yoked together with unbelievers? Let's read Matthew uh, 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. On a pause there for a while, who is the one speaking here? Yahushua, right? He's inviting people. And he says to the people, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so Yahushua, our king, is basically teaching us what it means to be a disciple of Yahushua, right? How does one become a disciple of Yahushua? When one is yoked to who? Yahushua. In other words, he's our supreme partner. We work together with him. During the days of Israel, what they often do to oxen is they yoke them together, right? And so they plow the land being yoked together. And so whenever two oxen are yoked together, there's a bigger, stronger oxen, the lead ox, if we can call it that. And there's a follower ox, basically just follows where the lead ox takes them. And so the illustration here by our King Yahushua is he is the lead ox. In other words, we yoke up to him. What does that mean? We let him lead. We simply follow if we will let Yahushua lead, it's good for us. It's easy. But if we are yoked with Yahushua and he goes one way and we go the other way, what's going to happen to us? It's not going to be good for us. And so those who truly are disciples of Yahushua, they have yoked with Yahushua. And so they need to be dedicated to him. They cannot be half-hearted followers. It's going to hurt and destroy them. So when Apostle Paul says, do not be yoked with unbelievers, he's telling the Corinthians, you're already yoked with who? Yahushua. And so your priority ought to be with who? Yahushua, not with anyone else. And so those who belong to Yahushua and have been yoked with him, what is their responsibility now? Remember, if we belong to Yahushua, we have a responsibility to uphold. Yahushua says, take my yoke and learn from me. And so we need to follow Yahushua about what he teaches us concerning our relationship with Abba. So what is our responsibility? Those who have been yoked with Yahushua. 2 Corinthians 6, 15 to 16. Remember, we just came from 14, right? When Apostle Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship has uh, dark or uh, wickedness and righteousness, they don't go together. 
And so let's continue with 15 and 16. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And so if we are yoked with Yahushua, we belong to who? Christ, right? And so we must not have harmony anymore with who? Belial. What does Belial represent? It represents wickedness. It represents idolatry. That's why it says, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. When we belong to Yahushua, when we're yoked with our King Yahushua, we now become the temple of God. So God is able to dwell with us. That being the case, what must we never do? We must not participate anymore with idol worship because we are now the temple of God. This is why if we belong to Yahushua, we should not participate in the rituals of pagans. For example, rituals that involve sorcery, witchcraft, worship of angels, worship of the so-called divine mother. We should not be participating in rituals like that. Why? Because we are already the temple of the living God. And so when Apostle Paul says, do not be yoked up with unbelievers, he's telling us separate from wickedness, separate from acts and works of idolatry. And so if we are to separate from wickedness, to what should we be dedicated in doing? Romans 12. Uh, one down to two. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, all he, because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so how can we show that we are truly dedicated to Yahuwah and to Yahushua by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice? What does that mean? It means the one who must be followed is no longer us because we're a sacrifice. In other words, we've sacrificed everything for the sake of worshiping Abba, right? And so what must reign supreme in all of our actions, the will of Yahuwah. And so what should influence everything that we do? Not the customs of this world, but the will and word of Yahuwah. This is why when Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, look, you've already yoked yourself with Christ. You belong to God now. You're the temple of God now. And so what should always govern you is no longer the customs of the pagans. You have to separate from that and be dedicated to who? To Yahuwah and to Yahusha. That's the context of 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 17 down to 18. And so to convince the uh, Corinthians, what also did Apostle Paul say? 2 Corinthians 6, 17 to 18. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so what is the exhortation of Apostle Paul to the Corinthians? He quotes a passage in Isaiah 52, verse 11, to convince them to come out and to be 
separate. You know that message to come out and be separate? That is the call to holiness. Do you know what the word holy means? Holy means to be set apart, to be separate. And so throughout the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the call of Yahuwah Abba for his people is to be separate from the ways of the world, to come out. And so Apostle Paul, in convincing the Corinthians who were not fully committed yet to Christianity, he's telling them, separate from your old practice of religion. He wants them to be 100% committed, not 80-20 not 90-10, but 100% committed to Yahuwah and to Yahusha. And this calls for coming out of paganism, being separate from paganism, and being fully committed and engaged to following our King Yahusha. That's why he cites Isaiah 52-11. What does Isaiah 52-11 say? Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of Yahuwah, Isaiah 52, is an instruction, a prophetic instruction to the people of God after the Babylonian captivity. And so when it was time to go back to the homeland, Jerusalem, right? Yahuwah was telling them, come out and become pure. Come out and be re-engaged again in worshiping Yahuwah Abba in the temple there in Jerusalem. And so up 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18 is not specifically about marriage. It is an instruction, a call for people to be holy, to be separate from the world and to be dedicated to Yahuwah. And we can, we can see this principle echoed throughout the New Testament as well. For example, Ephesians 5, 7 to 11, therefore do not be partakers with them for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And so the principle is basically general. It speaks of fellowship and partnerships, not just with marital relationships specifically, but relationships in general. For example, a business relationship where the business partner leads you to commit sin and engages in uh, unfruitful works of darkness, you have to separate from that. Or maybe you belong to a religion who practices the unfruitful works of darkness, who promote hatred, who promote idolatry and the worship of their leaders. We separate from that. And so generally speaking, Apostle Paul and the other New Testament writers They're telling us we need to separate from the ways of the world. Apostle John also speaks the same thing. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so everything that is worldly, Everything that's according to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, we are to separate from. And so in general, when Apostle Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Apostle Paul is exhorting the brethren in Corinth to come out, be separate from the ways of the world so that they can be dedicated fully to Yahuwah and to 
Yahusha. Now, having elaborated the meaning within context of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, question still remains, should we marry unbelievers? No, we should not marry unbelievers. And we will tell you why we should not marry unbelievers. There's very many, there's many reasons why we should not marry unbelievers. One reason is 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. But you just said, brother, this doesn't apply to marriage. It doesn't apply specifically to marriage. What does it apply to? It says here, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What is this passage about? It's about having fellowship with the world that is wicked, right? And so that's general. And so the general principle is do not engage in any activity that is wicked. Because if we do that, then we are separating from righteousness. We're doing the opposite. We're supposed to separate from wickedness and be fully committed to righteousness. And so if your friends are causing you to do wicked things, what are we supposed to do? We separate, right? This is why we call the attention of um, our younger members of the assembly, because we know the power of peer pressure, right? You want to be social, you want to belong. And so sometimes it's easy for us to be pressured into doing something which we know is against the will of God. But because of the peer pressure, you end up doing what you really did not want to do. And so you are influenced in a negative way. This is what Apostle Paul's talking about. We need to separate ourselves from influence that lead us to wickedness. That could be a partnership with a business person who's corrupt and untrustworthy. Apostle Paul says, have nothing to do with people like that because we are fully committed to Yahushua and being righteous with him. Now, as a specific application, can we apply this to marriage? Yeah. What do you call marriage? Isn't that a partnership? Isn't that a fellowship? Truth is, marriage will influence you more than your friends. Marriage will influence you more than a business partnership, right? Why? Because marriage involves you and your partner living together. And so that gives more opportunity for your partner or your spouse to influence you, right? This is why this is, this, the principle is there, but it is applied, it can be applied to marital relationships. And so having said that, it's, uh, it's good that when we choose the spouse we're going to marry, that they should be a believer and not unbeliever. So 2 Corinthians 6.14 can be used for that, but it's not specific to that. You see the difference? But there's a passage in Corinthians which is specific about marriage, and it tells us a lot. What is that? 1 Corinthians 7.39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes but you see the but he must belong to the lord what does that mean that person must be an unbeliever and so the bible does tell us if we're going to marry someone let's choose someone who believes in the lord or a believer not a pagan not an atheist not one who rejects yahuwah abba why why should we choose someone who believes in Yahuwah, who believes in Yahusha? Why is that important? 
Let's read the book of Deuteronomy 7, 1, 3 to 4. When Yahuwah, your God, brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughter and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of Yahuwah will burn against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Why is it not a good idea for members of the assembly of Yahusha to marry an unbeliever? Well, because if we marry someone who rejects and abhors Yahuwah, abhors God, what's going to eventually happen? Eventually, the spouse who's an unbeliever, the spouse who is a pagan, will influence the son or daughter of God, right? This is why Yahuwah instructed Moses to tell the people of Israel before they enter the land of Israel, which is the land of Canaan, he warned them there's going to be people there who belong to Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hevites, Jebusites. A lot of ites going to be there, right? Who are they? Different cultures, different nationalities. Yahuwah said to Moses, make sure that you don't intermarry with them. Or pagans. Now, is this a racial thing? No, this is a religious thing. Because if those people converted to Israel, well, they could now marry them. Okay. This is why Zipporah, Ruth, and others who were pagans, they eventually, uh, when they were converted to becoming Israel, then they were able to marry within the, the people of Israel. So this is not a race thing. It's a religious thing. It's basically a spiritual thing because Yahuwah knows human nature, right? Yahuwah knows how we think and how we can be influenced. This is why Yahuwah said, if you're going to let them marry uh, the pagans, guess what? The pagans are going to influence them away from me. This is human nature. Yahuwah says this. This is true. And to prove this is true, this actually happened to the wisest king, right? Who was that? Let's read Nehemiah 13, 26 to 27. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying Pagan women. Some of you might be thinking and say to, saying to yourselves, I'm different. If I marry a pagan, I'm going to influence the pagan, not the other way around. We can be saying that, but Yahuwah's truth is truth, right? What Yahuwah said is going to come to pass. And look at this example of Solomon. I mean, you would think of Solomon being king. He's not an ordinary person. He's a king. Not only is he a king, he's not an ordinary king. He was beloved of Abba. This is why Yahuwah blessed him not only to be king, but bless him with wisdom, right? But what happened to Solomon? Even pagan women caused even, caused even him to sin. So we know how the life of Solomon ended. He ended up worshiping the other gods and even built temples and shrines for other gods, including Molech, right? And so we should never say that if we marry someone 
they will not influence me. When you spend time with a person, that person you spend time with, that person will influence you. And so if we want to have a happy marriage, let us make sure that we don't marry an unbeliever, okay? And so let's go back to the question though, because there's a nuance uh, to the question that was asked that we need to address. And what was it? If we go back to the question, it says, is it wrong to marry someone from other religions? For example, maybe a Protestant, a Baptist. Is a Baptist a believer or an unbeliever? Is he a believer? Well, what does he believe? <laughs> right? A Protestant, maybe a Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran. Maybe a, an independent person, but they believe in the Bible, believe in Christ, but they don't belong to your group. They don't belong to the Assembly of Yahushua. They're not registered to the Assembly of Yahushua. But they believe in God. They believe in Yahushua. They believe, you know, they have religious beliefs. Or how about a person who belongs to uh, the Buddhist religion or a Hindu religion, right? Are they believers? And so what does it mean when we say believers, right? And then at the bottom, it says, are we implying that they are unbelievers just because they have their own beliefs? Is it only those who practice idolatry and unbelievers, the ones whom we should avoid, not those with different beliefs? So the question is, should we marry someone who believes in God, okay, who believes in Christ, who believes in the Bible, but they don't have necessarily the same beliefs as you? That's a tough one, right? Especially considering the assembly of Yahushua. I mean, even among the assembly of Yahushua, not all of us, I think, believe in exactly 100% the same things, right? There's going to be differences, but we have, we believe in the, the, ma the, major, the, the major things, like we believe in the name, we believe in Yahusha, right? But the question again is raised, if there is someone that we fell in love with, right? And we want to marry this person. This person believes in the Bible, believes in God, believes in Jesus, but not necessarily is a member of the Assembly of Yahushua. Can we marry this person? It depends. Why? Well, if we go back um, to the uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, right? 6, 14, when it says that do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, this is the Hebrew word used, or the Greek word used, I should say, Greek uh, G5571, apistos. Uh, what does that mean? Um, does it refer to those who don't belong the same group as you do? Right? What does that mean, unbeliever? Does it mean they have to belong to the same denomination as you do? What exactly does that mean? Well, if we go to the Greek word, this is what it says. <laughs> Unfaithful, faithless, not to be trusted. Question. Is it possible for a person to be registered in the Assembly of Yahushua, but they're unfaithful, <laughs> faithless? That's kind of, that's possible, right? This is why when we think about who we're going to marry, we have to really be careful. We don't just say, oh, they have to believe in the right things. They have to live out what they believe as well. That's an important point, right? But when it comes to unbelievers, what is really the message behind the exhortation of Apostle Paul. He's speaking about people who cannot be trusted. Right? People who are without trust in God and are actively disbelieving. In other words, it's not just as simple as not believing. 
they're actively against what you believe to be correct. And if that's the case, even if they believe, for example, if they believe in God, they believe in Christ, but they're going, but they don't believe in exactly what you believe. For example, they insist that Yahusha is God, and you believe that he's a man, and you are, he's actively trying to convince you, that could be a problem, right? And so when it comes to unbelievers, it's more general. Apostle Paul's not telling us you have to belong in, in the same uh, group. However, when it comes to marrying and making decisions in general, Apostle Paul also tells us in Corinthians 10, 23, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And so before we make a decision, there are many things that are allowed. For example, for me, for me, okay? If a person is believing in the Bible, believes in Christ, the Son of God, believes in the Father, for me, that's good enough, okay? They believe in God. They believe in the Bible, right? They believe in Christ. That's good. However... Just because that's allowable doesn't mean it's beneficial and good for you. What is beneficial and good for us? What is preferable? What's the ideal? The ideal would be they believe exactly what you believe, right? Isn't that the ideal? I mean, we need to pray for that. And so what should we do so that we can make the right decisions about who to marry? Philippians 1, 9 to 11, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Yahushua Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so, so that we can make the choice and decision that is beneficial and good for us and really reflects the will of Abba, what should we do? We should pray. We should ask the Father that we abound in knowledge and discernment. What is discernment? It's the ability to see the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And to apply that to choosing the person to marry, it's to make the decision to see whether or not this person will be for my benefit. If this person will help me to become closer to God. And ultimately, that's the question we need to ask. If I marry this person, right? Will this person bring me close to God or away from God? If I marry this person, will this person bring me close to Christ or away from Christ? And so how you answer that question will determine really whether or not we should marry that person, okay? That's the question we need to ask so that we can build discernment in everything we do, whether to choose a college we're going to go to, uh, to choose the friends we're going to hang out with, um, to choose a career we're going to be involved in, in everything we do, we always ask the question, is it going to lead me closer to God? Is it always going to lead me closer to Christ? Especially the spouse we're going to marry. This is why ideally, ideally, the person that we should marry are those who believe the same things that we believe. You get that? Why is that? Why is it preferable that we marry someone who believes what we believe? Three reasons before we wrap up. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, 14 down to 15. You cry out, why doesn't Yahuwah accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because Yahuwah witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. 
though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't Yahuwah make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Take note. Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Why is it beneficial? Why is it preferable um, to marry someone who has the same beliefs as you? Because there's something Yahuwah wants from your union. What is that? Yahuwah says, and what does he want? He says, godly children from your union. How can we raise godly children if husband and wife don't agree about how to worship God, right? And so for that to work, for this to be efficient, there has to be a partnership where the children not only get the instruction, but also get the example from the instruction. Because if husband and wife will tell their children, worship God, but what they see from their parents is something that they, they do something that is opposing each other, they're going to get confused. And so instead of having godly children, you're going to get confused children. We don't want to do that. This is why if we're going to marry someone, it's best that we marry someone who is of the same faith and they have the same beliefs as we do. Why else? Is that preferable? Ephesians 5, 32 to 33. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Why also must we marry someone who have the same beliefs as we do? Because our marriage is a reflection of the relationship between whom? Christ and the church. And so our marriage... It is like we are supposed to portray the relationship between Christ and the church. And so Christ and the church are one in belief, right? What the church believes and what Christ believes ought to be one. There should be no disconnect there. And so if there's a disconnect between husband and wife when it comes to what they believe in and how they have faith, well, we're not going to be expressing or portraying the relationship between Christ and the church. So our marriage should model that relationship between Christ and the church. And how does Apostle Paul explain this relationship between Christ and the church, which should be followed by the relationship between husband and wife? In Ephesians 5, 21 to 24, submit yourselves to one another because of your reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband has authority over his wife just as Christ has authority over the church. And Christ is himself the savior of the church's body. And so wives must submit themselves completely to their husbands, just as the church submits itself to Christ. And so Apostle Paul explains um, mutual submission out of reverence for Christ and how wives ought to uh, submit to the authority of the husband and the husband so, uh, submissive to the needs of the wife. That's how this kind of this mutual submission works. But if there's a disconnect in beliefs, this might not work. This might be a struggle. See that? This is why it's good and preferable to marry someone who have the same beliefs as you. Why else? Reason number three. Why else should we marry someone who we agree with spiritually? Let's read Ephesians 5, 25 to 31. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so the purpose of marriage ever since the very beginning, back in Genesis, is for the two to become, right? And Apostle Paul echoes that. Yahushua taught that in Matthew 19, right? And Apostle Paul again repeats it. This is why, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so the purpose of marriage is to showcase, to display unity, right? The two will become one. The same way Christ and the church ought to be one. Husband and wife ought to be one. And so for a husband and wife to be one, what do they need to do? In Amos 3.3, a question is asked, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Does that make sense? I mean, what does walking represent here? Your life, your daily life. And so if we're going to live with our spouse, it's better that we live in agreement with them. Because if you live with a spouse and you disagree about the major things in life, it's not going to last. Or if it lasts, it's only on paper. But in actuality, in the actual home, it's not a happy marriage, right? I mean, we're not telling you that you're going to like exactly everything exactly the same. I mean, maybe one spouse likes Italian. The other spouse likes Mexican food, right? Maybe there's a disagreement there, but that's okay because it doesn't really impact the relationship, right? Uh, if there's a disagreement between sports teams, One's a Laker fan, one's a Warrior fan. That might have a bigger impact, right? Uh, because if they're watching this, the, the game and the Lakers are against the Warriors, one team's winning, the other spouse is angry. I don't know how that's going to work out, right? And so maybe you kind of should select both the same team, maybe, right? But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to religious things, that's at your core. That's who you are fundamentally. Right. If you're going to ask, who am I as a person, you're not going to say I'm a person who likes Chinese food. I'm a person who likes the Lakers. No. When you say and define yourself as who you are to your core, you're going to talk about your relationship with who? God. And so if you disagree when it comes to the fundamental things, if you disagree with the core spiritual issues, that's going to be a big problem when it comes to unity. Right? How can you live together if you don't if you don't agree when it comes to the spiritual things in life? This is why if we're gonna marry someone, brothers and sisters, we cannot underscore enough how much of an impact religion and spirituality is. That should be priority when it comes to selecting our spouse. And so when it comes to selecting your spouse. Maybe there are those who are watching and they're planning to get married soon, or maybe they want to get married and they're out on the lookout for available candidates. And so when you're looking for a candidate to be a spouse, 
What do people often look for? Let's read Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears Yahuwah will be greatly praised. And so when people typically look for someone to marry, what's the number one thing they kind of look at? How they look physically, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Of course, you want to marry someone who you find physically attractive, right? Nothing wrong with that. And what also do we look at? We look at personality, right? Because if you have someone who is handsome or beautiful, but their personality is like the personality of a rock, you're not going to have a happy marriage. You're going to have a stressed out marriage, right? And so you want beauty and personality. But look what the Bible says. Charm is deceptive. And you're dating. That personality is like shining through. Oh, he's the best, mom. <laughs> oh, she has the best personality, mom. And once you begin to live together, all of a sudden that charm is gone. <laughs> you see the real thing. So charm is deceptive. Personality, what they show you can be deceptive. And beauty, we all know, doesn't last, right? And so when it comes to criteria, when it comes to what we need to look for, first, and first, first things first, brethren, make sure that they fear who? Yahuwah. Make sure that they honor Yahushua, Yahuwah's son. If you have that, then that's a good start. That's a good place that we need to begin when it comes to choosing the one we're going to marry. Well, how can we find this person? One more passage, Proverbs 19, 14. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from Yahuwah. Brethren, the, one of the most important decisions we will make in our life is who we're going to marry. Because once we get married, Bible says no separation, no divorce, right? We don't want to make that mistake. And truth be told, the spouse we live with, it can either bring us depression or it can bring us happiness. Yahuwah wants that those who are going to get married become happy. And so let us go to Yahuwah and ask for his help and guidance. Let's pray to Yahuwah and ask for a spouse that is from him because the spouse that is from him is greatly to be praised and is prudent and one who will bring you happiness and joy, okay? And so let us always seek the help of Abba and the help of Mashiach so that we can truly find joy even in our spouse here on earth. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, thank you so much, gracious Yahuwah, for the guidance that we have received. Yes, we know that choosing a spouse can be difficult. Help our young members to have discernment through abundance knowledge from your Holy Spirit. May you bless them, Father, in their relationships. And may you help us, Father, that we will only do what your will tells us. Mm -hmm. Father, bless those who are in marriages now. Help us, Father, to love our spouse, to be understanding, to be submissive to each other's needs, and to be gentle of spirit, and to be strong in love. Mm -hmm. Help us to do what is best according to humility, and help us, Father, to receive your love, that we can provide that same love with our spouse. Mm -hmm. Loving Mashiach Yahushua, may you please bless us with wisdom. 
help us to understand what you have taught us. We know that we are yoked to you. And so we promise our loyalty is to you. And that when we choose a spouse, it will be one that will bring us closer to you, not away from you. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers today. Bless your people throughout the world. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.